0: You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today, my guests are Ramdas and nearby Bush. Ram Dass is an American spiritual teacher, former academic and clinical psychologist, and the author of the seminal spiritual book, Be Here Now. Born as Richard Alpert, he traveled to India in 1967, where he met his guru, Neem Karoli Baba, Maharaji, which is when everything changed for him. Twenty years ago, Ramdas had a massive stroke that left him with aphasia, and yet he still functions as a guiding teacher for millions of people along the spiritual journey. Mirabai Bush is the founder and director of the Center for Contemplative Mind in Society, and she was also one of the creators of the Search Inside Yourself program at Google. What sounds true, Ramdas and Mirabai Bush have written a new, beautiful book called Walking Each Other Home. Conversations on loving and dying, where they explore what it means to live and die consciously, remembering who we really are, and illuminating the path that we all walk together. In this episode of Insights at the Edge... Ramdas and Mirabai and I talked about learning to release the fears we have about dying, and also our accumulated regrets. We talked about Ramdas's wishes for how his body is to be treated after his death, so that it becomes a teaching on dying. We talked about what it means to identify with the soul, or what Ramdas calls loving awareness and mirabai bush also led us in a body scan practice that's specifically designed for releasing attachments and starting to know ourselves as loving awareness and finally we talked about how grieving can be a sign of our love and how we need each other both to grieve and to walk each other home Here's my conversation with Mirabai Bush and with Ramdas. Now, to begin, Mirabai, can you tell our listeners a bit about this collaboration between you and Ramdas and how the two of you decided to write together, Walking Each Other Home?
1: Sure. Well, Ramdas and I have known each other since 1970, where we met in a um, meditation course with uh, the Burmese Buddhist teacher Goenka, in Bodh Gaya, the first meditation course that was taught for Westerners. And uh, we met there, and then we re- we also then spent a year or two with Neem Karoli Baba, who Ramdas has written about and be here now, and then we came home at the same time. And um, in years, over the years, did many things together. We taught together often, and we wrote another book together called Compassion and Action during the time when we were founders and then uh, working with Seva Foundation um, for many years. Um, and so now uh, it's another time. And 20 years ago, Ronda, I had a massive stroke and although he's recovered like more than anyone ever dreamed he would, he does have aphasia and uh, so he can't talk in that you kind know, of lucid full paragraph way that he did when he was younger. Um, and so he can't write the same kind of books that he wrote before. And we... In thinking, we wanted to put together Ram Dass' wisdom on dying because he's 87 now and many people who we know are in their 60s and 70s and 80s and we thought it would be very good to um, put his teachings on dying together so people would have them in one place. And we started doing that, but what we realized was that um, there's a way in which Ram Dass, although The words aren't so different. There's a way in which he knows these truths and holds them uh, that is different from the way he wrote about them when he was younger. It's almost all there and be here now. It's quite amazing. But um, he, of course, after a lifetime of experience, reflection, being with great teachers and suffering, he knows a lot more about, knows it in a different way uh, about um, what it means that we live and we die, that what's the relationship between dying and loving and what, how we can learn about this, at this mystery, which none of us, no one here on our planet has experienced in this body. Mm -hmm. So, um, we thought that um, since we've had many talks about these things and um, together, and Ram Dass was realizing that um, it was easier for him now with aphasia to um to express what he knows in conversation um, and um so we decided we'd just do it together. And we decided that we would, um, we did it all in his room. So we'd go go to his room and we'd kind of leave everything behind and we would just share with each other what it is we actually really know what we um, have been thinking about death and dying and not try to speak out of... um, not try to say things that we've said before, although, of course, some of it we've said before, but to just try in that moment to see, like, what is it that I really know or think or believe at this moment, and that's what we did when we did many meetings, and I just took my little iPhone with me and turned on record, and um, then, after that, I edited it, and turned it into—gave it some narrative flow.
0: Mirabai, I'm curious how you were changed, if you were, by the process of having these dialogues with Ram Das and writing the book.
1: I definitely was. It was—and I didn't—well, I guess I knew that that would happen, but I wasn't—well, I wasn't quite prepared for— the depth of it. But of course, what happened was um, my own my own fears about death, my own preconceptions, my own misconceptions about the whole realm of living, dying, loving, being with those we love who are dying, and so on. Um, in these talks, of course, a lot of that rose up. I mean, the talks are really like meditations and just like in meditation, as you're inquiring into your mind, you see what you're holding in there. And I, I didn't have that many regrets or real misconceptions. It was subtle, but there was stuff there and I just wanted to kind of fall away. I just noticed that now not like there's anything I can say that I know that he didn't know before, but I feel much easier with the idea of my own dying and the death of loved ones. I feel, um, yeah, I, I feel like I can hold it with more ease than I did before.
0: Now you mentioned something interesting: regrets. How did the process of working with Ramdas? and creating Walking Each Other Home help you release regrets that you might have had?
1: I think that just being together and just renewing each time the importance of letting go ideas, desires, like wishing it had been different, wishing there were things in my life I had done differently when in fact there's nothing I can do about it now. Um, and instead just accepting that that's the way it happened, that, you know, we were doing our best at the moment. Although if we were to do the same thing now, we might do it differently. And, um, just that process of accepting it because in fact we can't change it. And, um, by doing that, being able to, uh, I'm about to say, be here now <laughs> more fully and more honestly than before.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I asked Ram Dass if he had any regrets, and I thought that he'd say, oh, no, I don't have regrets, because he was, he's always telling, you know, people let go of regrets. Um, but he said, you know, I regret, um, the first thing he said was, um, I regret that it's going to make people who love me sad when I die. And I just, that is something he, he very rarely, like, kind of, you know, acknowledges the, the importance and the depth of that kind of emotion. And, um, you know, he'd be more likely usually to say, there's no reason to be sad, you know. (laughs) But but he said that, and it was really touching. And then he said, "Um, and I think I regret that I won't any longer be a vehicle for Maharaji's teachings, Yim Baba's teachings. And um, that touched me also.
0: Hmm. In the very beginning of the book, you write the following sentence that Ram Dass communicated to you, that with this book, I want to help readers get rid of their fear of death so they can be identified with their spiritual selves and be ready to die. And you could say really the whole first section of the book is about this coming close to whatever fears mm-hmm. we might have about dying knowing those fears and releasing them, learning to release them. And as I was reading, I was going through my own contemplation. How afraid of death am I, really? I don't even know if I know. Mm -hmm. How, Mirabai, do you think someone even knows? How afraid are we really? And how do we get closer to that fear? Yeah, yeah, it is because,
1: you know, death is medically considered a failure and in general in the culture we're still really uh hidden and uh considered in some ways you know a failure of the life force. Um, and uh we don't talk about it very much. We don't have vehicles for doing that, although some are coming to life. Um but uh yeah we just as I said about writing the book, but I, people have also told me that in reading the book, you know, it brings it up, and then you look and you say, am I, am I afraid uh, of dying? We, I think, you know, in various ways, we, have, we all have fears about that, and I think partly because we haven't had forums, you know, to, to investigate those fears. And um, but seeing, you know, that always with any attachment that you, seeing it is you're halfway there to letting go of it. And um, so Ramdas talks about bringing bringing the fears close, coming in close to them and just investigating them and looking at it. Why am I afraid of death? You know, everybody dies. I'm going to die, too. Um, that fear of death kind of conditions and colors the way we are in in our lives. And if I could let go of that, I could be more present and more loving. It, we talked a lot about the relationship of fear and love. And I think we all know this from just not, not even from unconditional love experiences, but just conditional love in as much as you're afraid of another person there's not much space for love. And in as much as you can fully be there and loving toward another person, fear is irrelevant in that moment. So um, uh, yeah, uh, it's important and we give we give a lot of time to it. And also Ram Dass is more, I've done some, but he's done a lot of sitting with people who are dying And um, how that is one of the ways that we learn about dying. We don't have many ways to learn about this mystery. But being with someone who's dying, partly what happens is as you're sitting there, your own fears and your own ideas about it all start arising. And you see them and then can let go of them.
0: Mhm. I want to bring Ramdas into our conversation, Mirabai. You and I had a previous conversation where I had the chance to ask Ramdas a few questions, and one of the things I asked him about was sitting at the bedside of people who are dying. Oh
1: good, yeah.
0: And you know, he talks about this idea of being a loving rock. So we're gonna hear Ram Das talking about this in just a moment, but to prepare our listeners, you mentioned that Ramdas has aphasia after the stroke that he had two decades ago. So his intellectual yeah. functioning has not changed. It's simply the articulation. That's right.
1: That's right. It's uh, it doesn't affect the brain, but, I mean, the part of the brain that, yes, the think that intellectually functions, but it makes it hard to express it. In the book, Ram Dass talks about how, you know, he sometimes thinks of it as, as his vocabulary as this um, closed closet, and he gets the idea in his mind, and then he goes in there and to look for the best uh, outfit for, for the idea. And sometimes it takes quite a while.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, let's listen to Ramdas talking about how one of the best ways to prepare to die is to companion people through the dying process.
2: The loving rock, um, you love yourself, you love the, the person who is dying. And you don't fear. And that will be the loving rock. You don't ever have a model of dying when you're bedside.
0: Mm-hmm. So this metaphor, a loving rock, it's so beautiful. Tell us more about that. Nearby. I know,
1: <laughs> I love it too. It's
0: so that the person who's
1: dying can just lean into you, <laughs> and uh, and you're there steady, not um, not questioning the rightness of the dying, not trying to keep the person alive just being there for them, not trying to uh, introduce your idea of what happens after death, and, unless, of course, the person asks you, but um, just being there, being in the moment, being uh, expecting nothing, being ready for anything, and um, so that there's a, a kind presence for that person to feel accompanied by as they go through whatever stages they need to go through. And Ram um, and Dass recommends, you know, looking as much as you can before um, sitting with the person to look at and let go of your own fears or your own need to want to try to keep that person alive because you love them or um, whatever else would keep you from just simply being there, a loving presence for them to feel secure with.
0: Mm -hmm. I thought it was interesting that he said you don't bring a model to the situation. Because I think sometimes people think, you know, I don't know if I can sit with this dying person because I'm not sure what's happening. I don't have confidence in what's happening. But in fact, you don't need to know that
1: this is what the afterlife
0: will or won't be like. Yeah. Yeah. And this is assuming that,
1: you know, that there are people taking care of the physical plane stuff, the medical things and the pain management and so on. This is the this is you as the friend
0: mm-hmm. sitting
1: there. Just being present, yeah.
0: You have some guidelines for being a loving rock for the dying in the book. And I'm just gonna read some of them. I really like oh, them. Oh good. Don't talk about the afterlife unless you're asked. I think that was probably my favorite. Then you offered gentle, light touch communicates love. I thought that was very beautiful. Mm -hmm. Let go of your own fears. Have confidence in the dying process, trust in the unfolding. Don't lose your sense of humor. Be yourself. (laughs) I think that's really key, too, be yourself. I think there's this idea of, you know, I don't want to be inappropriate, so I'm not going to be myself. Tell me more about that, and and Mirabai, maybe share some of your own experiences of companioning people through dying and what you learned about being a loving rock from that. Well, I was with my older sister when she was dying. She
1: died of liver cancer, and, um, and she also had dementia and she um she had many regrets, and she couldn't um she couldn't like uh she couldn't rationally let them go because she had dementia, so she would say things like i uh i wasn't a good mother, and she had had three children and brought them up, and she had been a good mother and um there must have been in her, of course, anyone who's mothered a child, there were some thoughts that she could have done better. But um so but she couldn't control that then. So we would um just say, You were a wonderful mother. You have wonderful children and they're happy and they're this and that. And uh and then we'd sometimes uh just um Encourage her to relax into her pillow and just imagine herself floating as if in a blue sky, as if she were a cloud in the blue sky. Maybe that doesn't go together, clouds and blue sky, but <laughs> that's what we said. And, um, and uh, just relax and know that you're loved and know that your children love you and that we love you and that you are loved and it's all completely safe, and everything is happening just as it should, and then we'd say some of that, you know, and uh, then just be there with her, and she would little by little, just, I could see her, like, sinking into the pillow, you know, and sometimes, like, a little half smile coming across her face, and so that was a, was a way of, that, that was a little more verbal than sometimes the loving rock is. But um, it was basically being there and just letting her know that everything was fine. And really, it all comes down to love.
0: Hmm. Now one of the interesting things I learned when I was reading Walking Each Other Home is that Ramdas has some plans for his own after death experience in terms of what will happen to his body. I'd never heard this before reading the book. Tell our listeners what Ramdas has planned. Mm. Yes, this was
1: this was something that was a little hard for me to go through and for him too. He he didn't he thought he was cool with it all, but he went through he moved closer to acceptance by going through this and you know everyone when it gets closer or even when it's not so close, should go through these decisions you know and so he we asked him where he wanted to die in his bed, you know who he wanted to be with him get close to the time he wanted you know, beloved friends, but as it got really close, he wanted to be alone with a picture of Maharaji, um, and so on, and, and where he wanted his ashes to go to the Hanuman Temple in Taos, and some to go into the ocean in Maui, but then we asked if he wanted to be buried, well, first we asked if he wanted to be buried or cremated, and He said cremated and um, he has a friend in Maui who has a green um, burial cremation center, and so he wanted to um, have Bodhi, his friend, take care of all of that. Okay, so we kind of knew that ahead of time, and so hearing it, just saying it out loud was just, we had to accept it at another level, but still kind of new. Then we went away and I came back um, a month later for our next conversations and Ramdas said, you know, he said, we tried to get, we tried to get a permit for a glass window in the crematorium so the people can watch the um, dead person being burned and uh, cremated. And and Ramdas likes this idea because in India, um, people are burned on open fires and uh, it is, of course, a practice to watch this person you love being burned and just dissolving into ash. And you have to like keep uh, giving up and acknowledging that this person really is no longer here in the body and so on. Um, so he, he liked this idea of a window looking in on... On the crematorium, but um, he said, but we couldn't get a, a permit for that. But he said the health department in Mali gave us a permit for outdoor cremations on an open fire. There's only one other state in the country that does that. It's Colorado, and in fact, Children Trunka Rinpoche was was cremated that way. But um, but Ramda said, and so. We're going to do it here, and I'm going to be the first one. And I have to say, in that moment, I just thought that I thought I was ready for it all, but that the idea of standing there, well, Rums was burning in an open fire was really difficult.
0: Mm.
1: <laughs> he said, "I, I said, no, Rums, don't, don't let us do that." He said, "No, it'll be very good. It'll be it'll be spiritual practice. Uh, you bet it will be. <laughs> it will be a fierce practice, but mm-hmm. that's what he wants."
0: Again, let's go to Ramdas and hear his comments about this.
2: And and the East. This is something. Death is so so evident in life. I mean, the from the persons um, uh, home to these burning gut, they put the uh, put the skeleton or uh, the body on a rickshaw and uh, the we are black cars only and uh, our culture hides hides uh, and the east don't hide death. The grandmothers and grandfathers are part of the family, and all everybody's. We we don't we don't we 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 don't the children they they can we can't watch watch anything about death. And uh, now and I'm I wanted to be the the East infiltrating the the West in the fire ceremony. I sat in many funeral grounds in India and I saw that this is good for my sadhana and my open air burning is i am inviting all the people around me to be be at the fire so they can so, so they can watch the burning of the body and it's, it's really for them it's not for me it's a it's a teaching method my classes in, in California in the past decade, Um, I used to um, have my class go into um, the uh, the rooms for uh, the medical school for cutting up the bodies and all of this is the transition from from uh, from body and psychology to soul.
0: Wow! So Ramdas really wants his funeral to be a teaching for people. Yet the, yes. te- the teacher is still teaching. <laughs> Yes. An, an open air funeral in Maui. There could be thousands of people there, Mirabai, yeah. at an open air funeral. Wow. It will be in
1: Hawaii, so that
0: mm-hmm.
1: that will limit, some extent, the number of people who can get there. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> now, what do you think would be required for death to come out of the closet, so to speak? I mean, here's Ramdas talking about how instead of in an open rickshaw, we're in a black hearst. And, you know, we know that yeah. we hide death in our culture. We medicalize it and we cover it cosmetically. What what would be the kind of cultural changes that would be required for us to be more open about dying and the dying process? Well,
1: some good things are happening already. There are these... Um, uh, Groups of death, <laughs> um, uh, groups that get together around having tea together and just to talk about death. Um, and um, I think it really needs to be um, a shift in really acceptance, but education really from early on, from children on. I just, um, uh, last year, our beloved dog died and the, my granddaughter and other uh, children of other friends all came over and we had a little funeral for the dog. It was beautiful. And they put flowers, they wrote a little song and they sang it and they put flowers on her and we buried her. Um, but they asked a lot of questions about, uh, where did you go? <laughs> and, uh, we had a really wonderful talk with them all about what it means to die. And, and there were different ages, so they could absorb it at different levels. But I can see that, um, that we need to start early and, um, and, uh, just so that, um, we begin accepting it as just a natural part of life instead of this dreaded thing that happens at the end, you know, that uh, we don't want to think about. Um, I remember when my mother was dying, this was about, I guess, 20-some years ago, but uh, she had cancer too. and um, But she and her friends wouldn't even say the word cancer. They, call, they called it the C word because they then and often now it meant that you were going to die and they wouldn't say the word it was I guess you could say it was a form of superstition that um by saying it it would bring it on so I think it's complicated we have a um lots of of biases against welcoming death into it into our conversations and into our education but I think that um there be there could be a lot we could do to make it more a part of just what we know this life journey to be about, and so that um yeah, so that the endings are more graceful there as you know as you know from the from the beginning of the Hospice movement and to the really kind of awakened trainings that are going on now a Meta Institute that Frank Ostaseski runs in, in uh, San Francisco area and there are a number of others too um, that people are really learning um, how to be with the dying in, an, in a different way um, but so I think that we're moving in the right direction but there are there's still a lot to do
0: Okay, now I have a question for you that's, I don't know, a little challenging in a way. In terms of Eastern views and incorporating them into our approach towards death. When it comes to having death out in the open, I fully get it. That makes sense to me. But there's this idea that the moment of death, this is a traditional Eastern spiritual view, will actually Mm -hmm. determine your next incarnation. That what happens, what's in your consciousness, what's ever going on at the moment of death, this is so, 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 so important. This is why we train in dying well, because this will determine your next birth. And I noticed I had this question of like, really? Is that really true? I mean, You have a whole life (laughs) where you have so many decisions to make about being an honorable person and a generous person. And, you know, let's say at the moment of your death, you're just like not having a good moment. Is that really going to uh you know, be so important that yeah. it, it it wipes away all of these other good acts well i don't
1: i don't know, <laughs> but I don't think it's just like he they do talk about the moment of death, but I think it's who you are at that moment when you die that uh in if in the understanding that in the understanding of karma and um, and multiple births. Um, that who you are when you die will determine um, what karma you have to work off in your in your next lifetime. You know, even the um, I grew up Catholic, and uh, in Catholicism, that last moment is really important. Also, I remember that they would say that um, you know the priest comes and he gives the what's called the last rites and. He can, if you've done anything, this is related to regrets, but if you've, like, sinned in your life, you can, in that last moment, confess it. And he can absolve you of those sins so that you are now going into heaven rather than hell. Um, I don't know, you know. Where which of these understandings is the closest to the truth, but many traditions have this this uh, focus on these last moments before you die um, and so I think just to prepare as well as possible and then in those last moments, try to be as you know loving and peaceful and open and uh, as possible, so that you can pass into the next stage, whatever that is, with um, in, in a peaceful way.
0: Why do you think those last moments are so important? What's your own sort of guess at that? I, you know, I used to think in Catholicism
1: it was a, it was a an appreciation of the human, of a human life that even until the last moments of your life, you can still, um, turn it around, you know, <laughs> what you can, if you express, uh, you know, sorrow or forgiveness or, um, whatever, even then, you know, you can still, uh, let go of things that, um, you're holding with it. And you know, it seems to be in the Tibetan tradition, they're very focused and, and Hinduism also, they're very focused on, on that end. And I think it's in a way, I don't know everything, but I think in some way it is a, a real um, honoring of the human condition. And that even, even in the last moments, you still, have this incredible power to um, renew by, you know, seeing the truth and letting go of whatever you were holding on to.
0: Now, you said, Mirabai, that what matters is who you are. And that reminded me of this section of the book that I found surprising and interesting. And you and Ram Dass were working on the writing of the book together and some friends of yours came to visit from silicon valley and they oh, yeah. asked ramdas this question if you had unlimited resources ramdas what would you do to make the world a better place and I thought, oh, great. You know, I love these ambitious entrepreneurs, unlimited resources. What would yeah. you do to make the world? Great question. I can't wait to hear Ram Dass' answer. And then you write, I expected that Ramdas would talk about experiences with the Seba Foundation, but he doesn't. And this is what Ram Dass actually says. I'd keep just enough for myself and my family and my obligations. And, you know, for old age. And then I'd give away the rest. Then I'd use the time I had for sadhana, for spiritual practice. Whatever you do, who you are is what will make the difference. Learn to identify with your soul. I thought that was very beautiful.
1: I think so, too, just listening to you read it. Because he was... He was making an extreme statement, you know, um, and I don't think they will give it all away, but he really was trying to make the, that final part of the statement resonate. Who you are is what you have to offer other people. Yeah.
0: Now, in terms of identifying with the soul, we're going to listen to uh, another piece here from Ram Dass that speaks a bit about that.
2: You shouldn't. You shouldn't fear death. And th- that's identify with your soul. The Soul doesn't fear death. So, in other words, your identification with ego is, is transferred into the, the soul and this can be done by sadhana and that's, that's why when you bedside the dying person looks backwards into into their incarnation, and then looks frontwards into spiritual life, and all you can get their eyes brighten or their expression uh, and you want to be with them as g- 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 this is transformation transformation of ego to soul and so the ego part doctor, doctor Save me, save me. Now let's put up the pictures of the uh, of the family on the walls, and that's the, the, the backwards thing. And then, then the ha- second half. Wow. Ooh. Yeah that 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 looks a certain way and you want to be able to be there for that second part so you can in your sadhana identify with your Soul.
0: Help me understand, Mirabai, when Ramdas says identify with your soul. I think some people maybe think they know what that means and they might think many different things if they talk to the other people who heard identify with your soul. They'd all mm-hmm. have a different answer to that. So, what does that mean to you to identify with your soul? It, I think.
1: It's about identifying with awareness, the awareness, you know, when you're sitting in meditation and you're noticing everything that's arising, thoughts, emotions, sensations in the body, um, your idea of who you are and in this body, in this lifetime, there is behind all that or wrapped around all that or apart from all that an awareness that is not attached to um to the ego to the body to it's just being it's just aware of what's happening and that is um well i'm just saying that that that's the aspect or part of you that is it does not die that keeps on going and that if you can rest in that um, that he would say loving awareness, um, and just know that the rest of it is conditional. That, that will that will help you when you're dying because that's the part that's going to continue. Uh, and that though so in this, in the time before you die to become familiar with that, become familiar with resting and awareness. Um, so that when you see your body start going and you see everything about yourself going, and when, when he was saying about the pictures of the family, he said backwards, I think what he really meant was that's the past. That's been the life that you've led, but now is the time when you're dying, um, to let go of that and to move into what's, uh, the reality of simply, um, being loving awareness Mm -hmm. that help
0: Mm -hmm. yes a lot you know after i read walking each other home i started looking in my life at all the ways that i'm experiencing something that feels like dying almost every day something some big change Mm. that's happening some letting go that i need to do something that uh, I'm over-invested in that wants to flow through. And, and I wonder if you can talk some about that, about how we can actually in our day-to-day life start examining our resistance to the everyday dying that we're invited to.
1: Yeah. Well, I think you said it eloquently. I mean, that, um, yes, yeah, seeing the places where we're holding on that aren't, wholesome and helpful for us and letting those go. And of course, doing whatever, um, contemplative practice that each person does. And there are so many of them, but, um, they are designed to help you see the places where you are, um, holding on to ideas, thoughts, um, people, (laughs) um, material stuff, um, and um and being able to let it go when it's when it's not helping you move toward you know toward the truth of your life and the ability to be fully present the ability to be really fully loving there's desires and attachments we have keep us from from often from being loving and being uh, there for the people in in our life who are important to us and and the work that we need to do in this life so um, all of that those are the little deaths every day and um, and if we consciously see those as preparation for The big letting go. I think it's going to really help.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, in the book, you refer to a body scan practice for releasing attachments. And I wondered if we could do that practice together, if you could actually lead us in it right now, in real time, Mm -hmm. as a way in some ways to bring our whole conversation together and give our listeners the experience of releasing attachments. Can we do it, Mirabai? Sure, okay. sure.
1: So I encourage anyone listening to this to um, either either sitting in your chair or cross-legged, however you are comfortable, um, or lying down on the floor. This is um, a practice of scanning your body. And in each case, we're going to be... Um, ...noticing and letting go. Um, So you can begin... ...we're going to go through the senses, so let's begin with... ...with your eyes closed, I would recommend, although a soft gaze is also fine. Bringing your attention to your eyes... And then silently thinking or saying, you know, I am not these eyes and what they see. I am loving awareness. And then you're settling into spacious awareness. I am not these ears and what they hear. I am loving awareness, breathing in and out and just being. I am not this mouth and what it tastes. I am loving awareness. I am not these hands and what they touch and feel. I am loving awareness. I am not this nose and what it smells. I am loving awareness. And now I'm noticing. Noticing in your mind any thoughts that are arising, judgments, memories. I am not these thoughts. I am loving awareness. I am not these memories. I am loving awareness. And then sensing your whole body, feeling your body from within your body, sensing your whole body, and then just, I am not this body. I'm not this body I have been living in. I am loving awareness. And just breathing. Feeling warm, loving breath. And letting go of everything but resting in awareness. And then, when it feels right, opening your eyes and coming back into the room.
0: Thank you, Mirabai. Just two final things I, I want to touch on. One is that probably the most moving section of the book was the section on grieving, uh, for me. And you know, I think there's no way mm. to talk about death and dying in the way we're talking about it and letting go of our attachments to the people that we love and the experiences that we've had without embracing grieving. Uh, You have a quote from the book, "'Grieving is not a sign of weakness, but of strength. It takes courage to go through it.'" And I think just like death is becoming more a part of our conversation in the culture, I think we're starting to view grieving differently as well. I feel so relieved Mm. about that, that it's okay to be grieving, that grieving can be seen as a sign of our love. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about this section of the book and really you and Ram Dass grieving together, people from the spiritual community that you're a part of who have had major losses and the kind of support you've given each other. Yeah.
1: I think, as you said, the, the support to just, what grieving is different for every single person, and it has its own time, and We need the support of people who love us to get us through it, and because often, given the, um, you know, the nature of our achieving culture, that um, there is a, a uh, encouragement to get over it. And that you're just self-indulgent by by continuing to grieve. People get impatient. I think partly because they don't quite know what to do with um, with another person's suffering, and so they want they want the grieving person to be finished with it. Um, and you know, as you were speaking, I remembered a time I was teaching a retreat for lawyers and judges. And um, it was back in 2001 or two. And I think, and one of the lawyers there said, it was a three or four day silent retreat. We did a lot of practice. And uh, at the end, she started crying and she said, you know, I work in a big private law firm and my my brother, was killed in nine eleven he was in one of the towers, and I have never told anybody in my office that that happened and she just went right back to work and because she felt that it was true or not, she felt that they wouldn't honor a period of grieving and that that seems like an extreme example, but there is that there is that kind of strain in the culture, so I think um just allowing allowing ourselves and our, and and our friends to go through it in whatever way they need to go through it giving giving support is really being a loving rock again um giving support to others and just giving love um because people go through it in many different ways and um it's really hard
0: mm-hmm. Which brings me to the final question, which is about this gorgeous title, Walking Each Other Home. (laughs) The title itself just goes right to the heart. Conversations on Loving and Dying. How did that title come about? (laughs) You know, I I, I mean, I know how we came
1: about it, because, but Ronda has been saying this for a long time. I don't know where it came from in him originally, but I mean, for a long time he's been saying that even when he wasn't talking specifically about dying, it was just, what are we doing here? You know, we're walking each other home. And, um, I mean, it evokes the importance of, you know, of relationship and love and community and, you know, satsang or sangha or fellowship. And, um, and so he's been saying it for a long time. But um, then when we poked around about um, a title for this book, it just arose one day. <laughs> we just said, Let's use it. You've said it so many times. Let's use it for the title. I mean, we went through lots of other titles, but they were all a little grim. <laughs> this one seemed to evoke. What we really want to say about dying.
0: Mm-hmm. I've been speaking with Mirabai Bush along with Ramdas. They have written a gorgeous new book called Walking Each Other Home Conversations on Loving and Dying. Mirabai, thank you so much. Uh, the book is bound to break open hearts in a loving explosion. <laughs>
1: Speaking of being bound, I want to say that Sounds True did such a beautiful job producing the book and the illustrations are so lovely that I think it really makes the whole subject of dying easier to be with
0: because the book is so beautiful. Thank you. All the stars aligned when it came to the creation of this book. I think I mentioned to you that As I was reading it, my partner walked into the room and, you know, I hugged her and I kissed her. And and she's like, whatever you're reading, just please keep reading that. Just keep reading that book. (laughs) That's so great. (laughs) Thank you so much.
1: Oh, thank you, Tim.
0: Love to you. Soundstrue.com, waking up the world. Thanks for listening.